The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. I would say that I have met Jesus many times in the ditch and found him to be loving and restorative and that the promise of the scripture that says a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out has been proven in my life. His story is described in the title of his book, Some Kind of Crazy. Coming up on First Person, you'll meet Terry Wardle, who will share his testimony of profound brokenness that led to experiencing God's breathtaking grace. Welcome to this week's interview. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Before Terry joins me in conversation, I'd like to take a moment to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support in bringing First Person to you. Each day in nearly 50 countries of the world, just as you listen to Christian radio, FEBC reaches listeners in their language with a message of the gospel. And millions of listeners respond with story after story of what FEBC's broadcasts are doing to teach them about God's love and forgiveness. To hear and even view some of these stories, please visit febc.org. Now a Christian counselor and professor emeritus at Ashland Theological Seminary, Terry Wardle had a difficult early life, and although he was trained for the ministry, he had a mental breakdown. Eventually, the Lord healed him, and because of that transformation, he is able to point others to the Lord. Listen now as Terry tells his first-person story. I grew up in the coalfields of western Pennsylvania. I came from um, a hardscrabble family, coal miners, uh, aunts and uncles everywhere around us involved in either deep mining or strip mining. A few of them were farmers. And to be honest with you, my family had a disdain for education, a distrust of religion, and they obeyed the law when it was convenient to them, but they would often go way outside the lines. And in my childhood, there was a combination of joy love and some serious dysfunction Hmm. in the family around me. And by that dysfunction, I mean things as extreme as um, crime, Hmm. uh, as extreme as uh, adulterous relationships and addictions. And that's the environment that I grew up in. And uh, it, it was really very difficult for me. And I think one of the reasons it was difficult is because that environment lent itself to me experiencing traumas at a very early age that put a lot of uh, emotional stress in my life. Mm -hmm. I remember I was probably only four or five years old when my grandfather, who was a notorious womanizer and criminal, uh, coming and taking me for a ride late at night, and we end up going down this two-track in the middle of the woods and darkness falls, and he pulls a revolver out of his glove box, gets out of the car, and tells me, get on the floor and lay there, oh. and then uh, lie there, and then off he goes for almost an hour as I'm lying on the floor, just absolutely in fear. He comes back all perspiring, leaves, and then says, don't tell anyone. Well, I did tell my parents, but they kind of brushed it off until later on, my father said, oh, I know what uh, Grandpa was doing. He was off having an adulterous relationship with a neighbor woman, oh. and he used you as a ruse. Mm. Well, that that was a trauma that really impacted my life, and then several other deep traumas 
predisposed me to a lot of fear as a, as a kid. Hmm. So as you grew older, did you succumb to all those things? Yeah, I think what I would say is this. Um, I, I never was drawn toward the crime side of things, uh, but I would say that uh, as I moved into my teenage years, there was a lot of rebellion inside of me, and my anxiety turned to anger. And I did get involved in things that I shouldn't have, including uh, things uh, like using of drugs and uh, abusing alcohol and engaging in relationships at levels I shouldn't have. But in the midst of all that, interestingly enough, my mother uh, ended up going off to a revival service, which was very kind of strange, and it was kind of a Hollywood vaudevillian gospel show. Hmm. But in the midst of that, God really touched her life, and she began to influence our family to consider going to church. And so we began to go to church, and I started to attend a youth group as a teenager, and lots of girls there, which was a part of my interest. And all of a sudden, the youth leaders took us off to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where uh, Catherine Kuhlman, a Pentecostal evangelist, was hosting a guy named David Wilkerson, and he was bringing with him some gang members. They gave their testimony, and I was there. And Wilkerson preached this sermon about the sword of the Lord coming through the land and God's punishment on sinners. And at the end of it, he invited people to come forward, and I was frightened out of my mind. Mm. But I did go forward, and I knelt there. And even though he preached on hell's fire, I had an experience of God's love and his touch that melted me. And I know that God placed a homing device in my life regarding his presence. Now. Because I wasn't in a real strong environment, I lived for seven or eight more years with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and I wasn't quite sure which I was going to be, a devil or a disciple. But after a period of time, toward the end of my college experience, the Lord really wooed me back to Himself, and that became a turning point in my life. Well, who was in your life who could guide you in the right direction spiritually? Well, that, that's an interesting point, because I, I can say with all honesty, there was never a man in my life that kind of took me under his wing and was willing to guide me in the faith. But by attending church and going to youth groups and hearing sermons, and then going to college and actually hanging out with some really solid Christian people, I was able to keep bumping back into this road that moved to Christ. Yeah, I would wander off. But the testimony of their lives showed me that I was headed for an emptiness that was going to break me while they had something inside that was sustaining them, and that was this understanding of the Lordship of Christ. Hmm. And I would say that had the most profound impact on me as I finally made a decision. I have to step out of this constant wandering and say yes to the Lordship of Christ. And following that, he really put his hand on my life. And, and move me off into uh, a, an adventure following him. Was that a, a moment, a turning point moment, or was that over a period of time that that, that lordship issue came into focus for you? Well, I think it was both, Wayne. And I would say it this way. I, I could see in the lives of others how they were able to make choices that consistently put them on the path toward deeper relationship with Christ. But I had a real moment in which... At the end of my senior year of college, I was out doing things I shouldn't have done, more than one in one night, and I came home, and I could feel this darkness and this emptiness just coming upon me. 
And I decided to go for a walk at about one in the morning. And all of a sudden, I was walking down the street of the college town, and there was an apartment above a pizza shop where I knew there were some students that lived there, some guys that were Christians. And I walked up the steps and knocked on the door. I woke them up. They kind of looked at me and, what in the world do you want? And I told them, I really need to sell out to Jesus here tonight. And a couple of them brought me in, and there, with a chair, I knelt, and I bawled my eyes out. And my heart just became uh, filled again with this incredible experience of God's love. And he embraced me very deeply into his family, and that became a turning point. And and then I heard the Lord just speak into my heart uh, this need to follow him. And eventually... I felt a call to go into ministry. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because you decided to go to seminary, and I wanted to know how your family reacted to that. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that was kind of tough. Um, my mom wasn't all that opposed, although she I remember her saying, what do you know about preaching religion? Is that what you went to school for? <laughs> um, but my father, I remember when I told them that I was going to go to seminary. I can still remember being in the living room. My father was lying on the couch preparing to go to afternoon shift in the mines. And when he heard it, he got up, he looked at me and he said, what a waste. Why don't you just get a real job and left the room? Mm. And a lot of my uncles and relatives felt the same as though I had broken the code. They kind of believed that Christians, especially pastors, were soft. And uh, that, that really was a challenge for me because these were important people in my lives. But at that point, having touched the emptiness that comes outside of following Christ, I knew I had to continue. And that, as I say, homing device that God had placed within me had real power, and it drew me on to go to seminary and then begin to move out into ministry. Well, how did God provide for you? How did you get the wherewithal to go to school like that? That's very interesting. I applied to a seminary called Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, And uh, it just happened, and I didn't know it, to be a seminary that was highly endowed financially, and they gave me a full scholarship. Okay. And so I actually completed a Master of Divinity and never paid a dime, and they even gave me a job, I remember, for $100 a month (laughs) if I would unlock the room that held the bats and balls and things that people could go off and have a little recreation, uh, I would be able to have that kind of a job, and it helped me get through and in the midst of that, I got married, and uh, my wife and I began a family, and then I started to pastor a little country church, and God put his hand on it, and and really, blessings and adventure began to follow. Well, we'll talk about the calling that you have experienced in your life and what has taken place since those early days, but looking back on that early phase of life with the family that you were raised in and the circumstances, what are your thoughts about that? You must be grateful to God for, for how he's led you. Oh, I'm... I'm tremendously grateful. Um, I I believe that God has had his hand on my life from my mother's womb, and that even though the circumstances of my childhood wouldn't seem to be ideal, God was there. I I said to someone recently, I believe the narrative arc of my life uh, bends toward wholeness, and that's because it seems like Jesus has been leaning on me all the time. And that's been through both good times and bad times. As a matter of fact, I would say that I have met Jesus many times in the ditch and found him to be loving and restorative, and that the promise of the scripture that says a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out, has been proven in my life. We'll continue talking with Terry Wardle, the author of Some Kind of Crazy, coming up next on First Person. 
one year ago, I heard that one of FEBC's radio stations aired in our province, so I started to listen. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. So many Kazakh people here like listening to your radio broadcast, and we feel like a family because of it. Thank you so much for broadcasting to our nation. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Terry Wardle, who is the author of Some Kind of Crazy, an unforgettable story of profound brokenness and breathtaking grace. Terry, uh, we're going to talk about a very difficult time in your life, but let, let's talk about where you are now and what you're doing now. Thanks, Wayne. I spend my time in a ministry that God helped me start called Healing Care. And what I do is I, I do seminars that equip people, pastors, lay people, physicians, psychologists, counselors, equip them to position broken people, emotionally broken people, who experience healing encounters with Jesus Christ. And I've been doing these seminars and this kind of ministry now for close to two decades. And I would say we've trained over 8,000 caregivers, both um, people that are, again, lay people and professionals, and also numerous times I've been asked to go help uh, folks that are in the Army and the military. And it's this unbelievable opportunity to take people who are, if you will, uh, bruised reeds and smoldering wicks and position them before the Lord in such a way that they can look back at the unresolved emotional issues of their lives and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I have watched miracle after miracle. As a matter of fact, I have said that I am privileged to have a front row seat to miracles as I see Jesus reach back into the unresolved past in the lives of Christians and bring wholeness and peace to places that really were filled with a lot of darkness and a lot of evil. We will put more information about what you're doing today and your book in our program notes at our website for listeners to follow up with, Terry. So um, when we left your story a few moments ago, you uh, had given your life to Christ, you're in seminary. Uh, Pick up the story. I I know there's a period of uh, tremendous brokenness in your life that happened after that. There is, and uh, it's really a a paradox in some ways. Uh, After I got into ministry and started pastoring and speaking. God's hand was on what I was doing, and we saw tremendous growth in churches. I ended up going on and getting another degree and and was invited to a faculty of a theological seminary. I went there. I had a very good season. They actually asked me to become the head of that seminary in New York, which was a great season of time. I then went off to California, started a church on my back porch with seven people, and God's anointing was there. And within a year, we had over eight, 900 people coming. But here's the other side of the story. I had never really dealt with all the trauma and all the brokenness that had occurred in my early life. Interesting. It's still there in your past. Absolutely. It was unrepaired ruptures. It was almost as if I left a part of myself behind. You see, I believe that when Jesus comes, he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. But some of the ruptures of our lives are not instantly healed. And for me, there was a significant amount of brokenness in my life that I was ignoring. I was pushing it aside, 
these traumas, these early deaths that I had seen. And so there was a season when I was very busy and it looked like I was very successful. But all of a sudden, I started to experience extreme levels of anxiety and depression. And I didn't know what to do, and I tried to fight it. And I ended up actually having to admit myself to a psychiatric hospital. Hmm. And I spent several weeks there. And all of a sudden, it became clear that I had not really allowed Jesus to come into the emotional brokenness of my past. I just pushed beyond it. And that now I had to come to grips with this fact. And the psychiatric hospital was good in giving me understanding of the nature of emotional brokenness, but it was mostly talk therapy, and it didn't really touch the pain that was inside of me. It didn't really heal the deep fractures. And that's when God took me on a journey, and he began to really speak to me and show me that he is able to reach back into our broken past and enable us to experience His presence in ways that actually can set us free. And I began to experience that in ways that were almost beyond description. And it was real, it was consistent with Scripture, it was the work of Jesus Christ, and it began to bring healing uh, to areas that I had tried to run away from for a long, long time. Mm. And it was out of that that I began to really understand not only the grace of the Lord, but his ability to not simply save us, but to heal us, to move us toward wholeness, and not just the wholeness that we need today, but even the wholeness that we need regarding the brokenness of yesterday. How big a part did forgiving those in your past have to do with your healing? Well, it's a huge part of the process, but here's something, Wayne, that I had never seen before. I knew that you have to forgive, and many times I had willed myself to forgive, but often there still was inside a pain and a loss that I struggled with. And after I came home from the psychiatric hospital, I I went away for a little retreat. And I remember sitting by a Franklin stove, and I was frustrated that I had been reading Scripture, but to some degree it wasn't really touching where I needed to touch. And I will own that as my issue, but I opened my Bible again, and I began to read the story of Jesus in Gethsemane, and his own emotional brokenness, and his need for support, and his crying out to the Father. And then as I continued to read, I saw Calvary, where Jesus says to the Father, forgive them. And all of a sudden, a light went on, and I realized two things. First, God didn't give Jesus a scripture on that night. He gave him an experience of his presence. And in the midst of giving that experience, Jesus was able to grieve out the loss of what he was about to experience. And it was only after that experience and grieving that Jesus says, forgive. And I realized I was trying to forgive without touching the loss, without having an experience of God's grace. And I began to cry out, oh God, I need more. I need, to t- I need your touch. And that's where God began to open a pathway for me to understand how emotional wounds of the past are healed. With the support of other people, we can have an experience of the presence of God, which enables us to touch the loss that we've experienced through these past events. And then as he fills that place, we are able to extend genuine forgiveness to people so that we're no longer demanding payback from them but we can settle that before the Lord. 
Even as you talk about these things, is there a, a verse or a passage of Scripture that comes to mind that you can share with us right now that may be just what someone listening needs to hear? Well, I, I think the passage of Scripture from Isaiah 42 that I mentioned earlier is really important for individuals that that deal with the unrepaired emotional ruptures of the past, that, that Jesus cares about bruised reeds. He cares about smoldering wicks. You know, he is the great physician who came in order to bring healing. As one theologian said, he is so concerned with our healing that he, the physician, becomes the patient himself so that we then can be set free. And I think that's really foundational to this whole idea that Jesus is the one that comes and seeks. He's the one that saves, and he's the one that cares about our entire well-being. And we see that in so many of the stories of Scripture, not the least of which is the story of the Gadarene demoniac, Mm -hmm. a man totally in bondage, who Jesus sets free. And that's what Jesus wants for us, a freedom that comes through his healing touch. You must be conscious of the fact that given what you went through, you are now better equipped to help so many other people. That That's really, I mean, that's true for you, isn't it? Well, it is. But Wayne, I must tell you that when I went into the psychiatric hospital, and at the time I'd written a few books and had been the head of a seminary, and I, I knew some people that, you know, were leaders in the community of Christ, they began to advise me to never tell that I'd been in a psychiatric hospital. They said, it would ruin your ministry. Well, how do you hide that? So I did tell, and I guess to a degree it did ruin my ministry, but it opened up a whole other ministry of Christ that I was unaware of. And, and Wayne, this is what was baffling. I would begin to talk to people and say, yes, I was broken, and here's the degree to which I was broken. And instead of it repelling them, it actually compelled them to draw closer to Jesus. And that's the miracle of of Christ, the wounded healer, that out of his wounds come healing. And if we allow our wounds to be healed, all of a sudden we find that other broken people will turn to us to hear the story of Christ's healing of our lives, and they themselves will be healed. So it's actually breathtaking for me to be able to share with you that out of the season of my deepest brokenness has come the most amazing ministry I could have ever imagined. That's the testimony of our first-person guest, Terry Wardle. He tells his story in more detail in his book, Some Kind of Crazy, and we'll place a link to the book at firstpersoninterview.com. Terry's story points to the hope and healing offered by God in the midst of life's trials. Once again, our website is firstpersoninterview.com, and there you can also see who's coming up as a guest here on the program. And in addition to our website, please look us up on Facebook as well. We're found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Simply facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Now, when you think of it this week, please visit febc.org to learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company, which for nearly 75 years has been faithfully proclaiming the gospel in many countries. Did you know that well over 2 million listeners contact FEBC annually to say what a blessing it is to them? Many of these listeners are in the far corners of the world, and sometimes FEBC's programs are the only biblical teaching they receive. There are lots of stories to be told, and you can check them out online at febc.org. That's the Far East Broadcasting Company, febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.